Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Scripture reading today is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to chapter 5, verse 6. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with a trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so that this day should, should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. The word of the Lord. Good morning and welcome again. Thank you, Sophie. As we've been saying, and as you know, today's Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday is the day traditionally that the church celebrates Jesus riding in to Jerusalem, and they lay down palms because the tradition was that you put down, palm, you put down palms for the conquering king coming back. And as skeptical New Yorkers, you should... At least I, 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 you know, I'm a New Yorker. You should say, so what? That's one of our favorite questions to ask these days. So what? That happened then. So what? What does it mean to us today? What I'd like for us to do is to go to this particular passage. This is a letter, a lot of scholars say, and probably the, the, it's probably the first letter we have from Paul chronologically in the Bible. And he's writing to the brand new Thessalonian church. And what he's doing here is he's working through the implications of, of, of Jesus' kingship and what does it mean for us. And he's writing to people who are suffering, to people who are having hardship. And because of that, the point of Palm Sunday comes to life through the unique concept of Christian hope that is depicted here. And so what I think would be great for us today is to figure this out. I think we should look through this text and we can break it down in three easy parts and I'll break it down this way. Let's look at the structure of Christian hope, the implication of Christian hope, and then the basis of Christian hope. 
We need the structure, the infrastructure of Christian hope, the implication of Christian hope, but then also the basis of Christian hope. So first, the structure, the framework, the infrastructure of Christian hope. Life beats you down. I don't think I have to actually qualify, qualify that or quantify that. I think, yes, there are sweet mercies that happen. There are sunny days. There's good food and good friends. And there's a lot of joys in this world. Don't get me wrong. I hope and I think most of you in this room have had those in life. And I won't, hope you have many more. At the same time, the fact is, though, the older that you get, the longer you live, the more suffering you see. That, uh, this is actually why a lot of the data shows that right, uh, older folks tend to be more pessimistic. You get more cynical the older you get. Why? Because you see more stuff. And the truth is, everybody in this room, because of, because of the way life is ordered, you are going to lose loved ones or you're going to be the loved one who's lost. It's always one or the other, and often both. Everybody is like that. Baseball is back. I love baseball. It just started a couple days ago. And there's all the statistics and batting averages. Well, guess what? Death is batting 100% against us. It always has, and it always will, and it's coming for us. Now, you're all like, maybe some of you right now are saying, Mike, stop being such a Debbie Downer. It's Palm Sunday. Stop being such a, a, you know, a a curmudgeon. Stop being such a, 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 you know, lighten up a little bit. YOLO, right? You only live once. You know, maximize life. Let's have fun. Let's get going. And yet what's hard is that we live in a world where death, not just physical death, right? The the implications of it, the effects of death, broken bodies, broken hearts, broken minds, broken relationships, it's all around us still. And the problem is, is that our culture doesn't want to look on that because it's Debbie Downer. So we do the YOLO. We do the, like, let's just have fun. We put the, you know, on the subway, we put the ear pods in and we listen to a podcast or a song or something because we don't want to have to think about that or deal with that. Because our culture says, let's not think about it. But earlier, guess what? We just prayed for those in Nashville that were affected by the shooting. We prayed for my friend. And you know what? What does YOLO have to say to them? How does YOLO help my friend? It doesn't. Like, nobody woke up last week thinking, you know what, this is going to happen, but it did. Because death comes for the old, death comes for the young. But because we've set up a culture that ignores death, we're wo- woefully unprepared for it. We have, we, and because we're unprepared for it, why? Because we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have the framework to deal with it. I wish I could say this is a unique problem for modern people. I just gave you the modern problem, right? But this is a problem that I think humanity has always had. John Stott, in his commentary on this passage, he actually quotes a second century letter that an Egyptian woman named Irene wrote to a family that was grieving for the loss of their boy. So it's apropos to us today. But, and she comes from the fact that she's grieving from the loss of her son. And this is how she ends her letter. This is what she says. She says, Nevertheless, against such things, one can do nothing. Nevertheless, against all what's going on, nobody can do anything. You can almost feel the hopelessness. 
See, we don't like to say the quiet parts out loud, do we? We don't like to talk about this stuff. That the, the, instead, that's why we, we, there's so much power in, in inertia in our culture to post the pic or put the video up of, of living our best life now, to have a curated perfect life, to strive for it in our work and, 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 and in our fun. If we zoom out just a little bit, guess what? Here's the truth. I bet you most people in this room, maybe everybody, if I asked you who your great-great-grandparents were, what were their vocations, what were their stories, who were they like, I bet you most of you couldn't say. And if that's us looking back, I bet you that means going forward 150 years from now. Nobody's gonna, if we can't remember them, they're not going to remember us. And that just compounds the hopelessness. And yet Paul says, look what he says in the very first verse. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. To what? We don't want you to grieve, be uninformed, to grieve like the rest of mankind. Right? This is 2,000 years ago he's saying this. So Paul, what he's trying to say here is, I have the secret to not being afraid of death. And if you're skeptical of that, you should be, because we know there's pain and grief and hardship. So how could he say this? Well, look, look at the next verse, first, or at least the next couple of verses. Verse 18, skip down a little bit, is he says, hey, I want you to be able to encourage each other with, with these words. You say, with what words? Well, what he had just said. What, is he, what did he say? He said in verse 15, the Lord's going to come again. In verse 16, the dead in Christ will walk again. In verse 17, everybody will be together again. Now, what's he doing? Paul is saying to people who are suffering and hurting that the coming future, what's about to happen, is not something that you can take solace in when we get to the future. It's not like, you know, one day things will get better. No, what he's saying is, is that future can actually impact on how you live now, today. How? This is where I think C.S. Lewis can help. C.S. Lewis says there's actually three main ways most people try to live. Way number one is the, what he calls the fool's way. The fool's way is, is the, the way to consume, hoping the more that you take in, the better, more satisfied I'll be. So you, what do you try to consume? More money, more Lululemon, more apartment size. And you're laughing because you know you've done that. You walk by, you're like, I look good in that. <laughs> more more, more consumption. Of, of, if I eat or drink or if I make or if I have, then I'll be fulfilled. And he says that's a fool's errand because when you do that, you end up never waking up to the fact that stuff can't save you. It's a fool. Fool's way. The opposite way, number two, the other way to live is the cynic's way. Instead of the fool's way tries to get satisfied, the cynic's way says, I'm never going to get satisfied. I'm not even going to try. Because the cynic's way does this. That we've evolved out of nothing and meaninglessness, and when we die, we're going to go to nothing and meaninglessness, right? There's nothing else out there in the world. And so then you can't have meaning today, so let's not even try. I mean, at least, at least cosmically. People might try to—let's try to have a mini-meaning meanings. Let's try to get a little bit of solace, but not, not ultimately. Rich, uh, comedian Richie Gervais has a show called Afterlife, and in this, he has this, there's this quote. He says this. He says, life is precious because you can't watch it again. Once you realize that you aren't going to be around forever, that is what makes life magical. That this is all that there is. That's a nice statement, right? That, hey, what, what makes, what he's saying that there's no ultimate meaning, right? He's the cynic. But maybe life is still precious because of the fact that it's not forever. It sounds good. And yet what you don't realize, he's actually sneaking in a value word. The word precious is a value word. How can he say life is precious if everything's meaningless? 
Because that, that word precious, you can only have real preciousness if there's actually meaning, if, there's, if, there's, if life isn't random, if things aren't, you know, life stinks and then you die. So that's, that's the uh, cynic's way. Now, the third way, there's a third way. Unlike the fool who's looking for, who's never satisfied, looking for satisfaction, unlike the cynic who doesn't even try and ignores it, Paul doesn't sit around in despair like the cynic or keep himself busy like the fool. He roots him, he does seek satisfaction, but does it uniquely through the person of Jesus. Look at verse 17 again. In verse 17, he says, We, right, so we will be with the Lord forever. That is a verse that you could probably sit on and marinate probably the rest of your life, that you will be with the Lord forever. What is more hopeful than that phrase? Paul thinks that that's the Christian framework, that that's the structure that you need in your life. And, I want, and before we move on, I want to ask you, do you access that structure? Do you, do you frame your life around that phrase? Do we actually have access to it? Do, is that the center of Christian hope for us? Number one. Okay, number two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. The implications. If you're like me, if you're a New Yorker, right, you should be saying, that's nice, that's, like, uh, that's nice, Paul, but it's still kind of pie in the sky. What are the implications? Make that real for us. Because if it's true that we will live forever, right, with him, that we will be with the Lord forever, that's going to change how we make our decisions, number one, about our life. It's going to change how we make our actions. It's going to even change the outlook on how we see ourselves in light of it. So many implications, but let's just, you know what? We don't have time. Today, let's just do one. One implication, and let's go back to what we've been already talking about, death. How would this change how we live our lives? Two potential ways. One, you're not going to have grief without hope anymore. Right? Notice in verse 13, that's what Paul says. Most of us, most of the life is grief without hope. What does that look like? My dad has stage four pancreatic cancer. He's, been ha- he's had it for, for years. But it hangs over us. It's like ever-present. It's that, it's that impending doom. And if I'm really honest with you all this morning, I have a hard time praying about it. I have a hard time thinking about it. And the reason I have a hard time praying and thinking about it is because I'm scared. I'm scared that if I do, I'm scared, I, I'm scared for a lot of reasons. I'm scared because I'm scared to hope. I'm scared that if I, if I do think about it and talk about it and pray about it, I'm going to go into this grief. I'm going to go into the tears. I'm not going to be able to pull myself out, back out of it. I have this moment. I remember this very vividly. And when I was in middle school, I don't even remember what it was about, but I remember being on the couch in my living room and just crying and weeping, and I couldn't stop. It was all night long. And I, I think probably that scarred me that I never, I'm like, I know that's possible. I never want to go back to it. Because that's actually, that precisely is what it's like to, to be in grief without hope. You get overwhelmed by it. 
No wonder the fool distracts themselves. They don't want to even go there. No wonder the cynic does, ignores it. And <laughs> they don't want to go there. But what's unique about Christian hope is that you're actually allowed to feel the grief, the storms of grief that pop up in life. And you can do it because you know somehow intrinsically that the sun and the light brackets the tears. The deluge of the tears that come down in your heart and in your life. You know somehow that, that you're not going to get lost in them. That you're going to be able to pull back out. That you can actually feel, this is what's so ironic about Christian hope. You're allowed to, and you can feel more grief and move into it more. Because why? Because you don't have to ignore it. You don't have to distract yourself. You can go into it. My friend who lost his daughter last week, he was on, actually, he was on a mission trip with, with her the week before. They come home. They have the weekend, and she's dead on Monday. He is able, he doesn't have to bottle it up. He doesn't have to worry about it either. You say, what's the proof? Prove it. Just go to the book of Psalms. I hope that you guys are in the Psalms all the time because if you read the Psalms regularly, and not just one, but like multiple Psalms every day, what you'll see is the, the, the spectrum of feeling on display for you. And what's beautiful about that is that if it's in the Psalms, you're, it's almost validating the, the, the fact that you can express those as well. If it's in the Psalms, it's actually not just depicted for you, you're, you're, it's, it's telling you it's in you too. But it's not, we're not talking about just expression right now. Christian hope means that you can go in without knowing that you're going to be able to come back out. I don't need to even imagine, I know as your, as your pastor for many of you, I know that you're in grief. I know that you have these deep wounds. I know some of you are hiding from them. I know I am. Maybe you're in this right now. Maybe you're worried about being lost. You don't know how to get back out. But Paul says there is a way out. There's hope in grief. That's one implication. But the other way around, guess what? Not only do you not have to have grief without hope, but you can actually also not have hope without grief. You go, what does that mean? Let me give you a couple ways to have hope without grief. One, we've already kind of started going to it. You can distract yourself with food or consumption or substance. Two, you can distract yourself with work or experiences or family. You know what New Yorkers love to do? This. Here's a phrase. Ready? I don't have time for that. I'm not saying you can say that out loud. You say it in your head. Hey, you want to hang out? I don't have time for that. Hey, you want to do this community group? I don't have time for that. Hey, do you want to read your Bible? I don't have time for that. Hey, do you want to do this good social service? I don't have time for that. It's probably our number one problem. Call it, maybe you can even call it an idol if you want to personify it. So we don't have time for it. Why? Because we, it, it's easier to avoid the hurts and heartaches and, 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 and um, grief out there when you're busy, when you've filled yourself with, I have to take care of my family, I have to take care of my job, I have to take care of myself. Third way, the third way to avoid grief, right, to have hope without grief, so to speak, is you can even do this religiously. You can be a religious person. I've seen people do this. They get all super spiritual. There's a Christian version of this where you have all the answers. And so whenever, you know, it's actually probably a heart tendency, right? Chad loses his daughter. What do you want to do? You want to say, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. Let me tell you how. There's a book called A View from the Hearse where a man loses all three of his children and he said the worst comforters were the ones who would come up to him and try to have all the answers. It's a way to get away from the, from the grief. You're trying to have hope without grief. 
ignoring the storms that are raging. Years ago, um, I think there was a movie that came out. It's called The Lego Movie. Is that what it's called? There's, I don't remember it much, but it, you know, high art, right? Um, there was, a, there was a, a, a theme song in it called Everything is Awesome. And um, I actually looked up the, one of the uh, lyrics of this. Let me read it to you. This is, the song, this is how the song goes, or inside the song. Everything is awesome. I feel more awesome than an awesome possum. <laughs> Dip my body in chocolate frosting. Smelling like a blossom. Everything is awesome. And yes, I did look that up. Um, and what's, I, what I remember about the movie is everybody was singing the song to try to feel like, hey, I'm actually awesome, but they're ignoring the cracks and the crevices and the reality of life. And we do the same version. Maybe you're not singing that exact song. You're going to go, you know, it's stuck in your head. You're going to start going, everything is awesome. But um, we don't do it maybe that, that exact way, but what we do try to do is we try to never feel the sorrow or go through the storms. You want to know what happens when you never go through storms? It's ge- geographically, it's called a desert. There's nothing there. And I'm not saying that you should have storms. I'm just saying don't ignore the ones that are already there. And they're all in our lives. You don't have to ignore the storm of sadness about our bodies breaking down, do we? You don't have to ignore the storm of, of, uh, of hurt that that person didn't give you what you need. You don't have to ignore the storm of the fact that you don't give other people the love that they need. See, that's what's actually mostly happening in life, right? They're not giving you what you need. You're not giving them what they need. They're not giving you what you need more and more. You don't have to ignore the storm of sadness of all the brokenness of our personal life, our family life. I, don't, I can't name them all. I don't have to. You know what they are. And what Paul is saying here is we have the power to no longer have the grief without hope or, or hope without grief. We don't have to have that. But, but there's something in, in Christian hope that's so powerful that later on in, in this, this text, he's able to call death our, our greatest enemy, right? Enemy number one, he can call death sleep. It has that kind of power, Christian hope, to be able to call it slumber, to call it like a nap. It's that transformed. Herman Bovink, theologian, in his book on Revelation, he puts it better than I can. He says this, The Christian lives in the future, and the future lives in him. I'll say it again. The Christian lives in the future, and the future lives in them. That What that means then is this. If the future right now of all healing, the future healing of every wound, if that's real and that lives in you, a bit in you right now, then you might not think you have the power to change, but you do. You might not think that you have the ability to get through what you think you have to get through, but you do. If the future redemption of all of creation is actually in you right now, that means, guess what? Today, it's not business as usual. It's not everyday life the way it's always been. Because what, what happens? If you go to the end of Revelation, you know what you'll find there? I'll tell you what you won't find. You won't find a bunch of disembodied people sitting on clouds, strumming some hearts, um, harps, and, and uh, with a bunch of winged beasts and angels and stuff singing forever. You don't see that. That's not heaven. That's hell for me. Hopefully it is for you too, because that's kind of boring. Good, the good news is that's actually some other society's version. That was, you know, it was Michelangelo. Somebody painted that. It's not in the Bible. If you go to the end of Revelation, you know what you see? Every tear dried up. Every hurt healed. You see Jesus enthroned on heaven, ruling with grace and mercy. 
And if you have that future, a, a bit of that in you now, how does that affect your daily life? How are you going to actually live? You have access to that through the Holy Spirit now, from the future, but active every single hour in your life. And so my question to you is this. Are you sitting in today's sorrow with tomorrow's joy? Because this is what you have. You have that access. You have that ability that you already have tomorrow's joy in today's sorrow. Now, you can still ask the question, why don't I feel it? Why don't I have it? But are you? Last point. The basis of Christian hope. Why don't we feel it? Why don't we have it? Yes, there's implications. Yes, there's a structure and framework. But again, if you're a New Yorker, you should be asking, what assurance do we have? What, is, what evidence do we have that the basis of this is actually true? And Paul doesn't let us down. Look at verse 14. He gives it, this is the key verse. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's it. That for Paul, the key, the way that you know this is real, if Jesus actually lived and if he actually died and he actually rose again, if he did that, then he really did enter death to end death. Right? Darkness is around. Your grief, you know what your grief is saying to you right now? That you are going to, there is no hope. That your grief is telling you there is no way out. There is darkness and then, then you die. But this is saying, no, through darkness there is light. This is saying, no, 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 we aren't afraid of death because only real, the only real death Jesus took. And let me try to be very, very careful here. Who gets that? Who gets it? It's not the religious. It's not the morally upright. It's not the one who does everything right. It's not the one who follows all the rules. Look at verse 16. It's those who are in Christ. It's the people who believe. And by the way, belief is not merit-based. We've spiritualized this word belief, but belief, if you want to get the New Yorker version of belief, it means trust. It's where you're going to put your trust. And if you put your, there's there's options. You can put your trust in Christ or in yourself. In Christ or in, in him or her or that or this. You have options. And you, you get to decide and tell, you get to work it out, the implications of putting your trust. Which one is it going to be? And Paul says, in Christ, this is what we have. You don't have to wonder, have I ever done enough? You don't have to wonder, have I prayed enough? You don't have to wonder, did I do enough? That we get to live every day and say, Jesus lives and so shall I. And one of the most important feature of, of the Christian life is, it's not the ethics. Ethics are good, right? Laws, morals are good. Every religion, every non-religion, right? There's still an ethical code that New Yorkers live by. And a lot of it has a lot of similarities with our code, doesn't it? That's not the most important feature. The most important feature is this, that, that is realizing that what you believe about the future impacts you now. If you believe that everything goes to nothing, that impacts how you live now. Then there's nothing. If you believe that there's insecurity in the future, then that insecurity, you live that out now. But if you know that your future is assured, that assurance is lived now. Because if Paul is right and the Lord is going to be with us and we're going to be with him, then we have that security. That is the basis and foundation of Christian hope. I wasn't able to go to the funeral yesterday in Nashville. I had some friends who went. They called me. They told me about it. I had one friend who sat in the sanctuary, and he actually sat, and he, he said that um, 
that he sat under some stained glass windows and there was bullet holes in it. And the light was streaming in. He said it was a powerful reminder that light breaks through the darkness. And my friend Chad, you know, he's the minister of the church, uh, he didn't get up and do the eulogy for his daughter, but he did get up on stage, and we were all, like, nervous about it. But he got on stage, and apparently he, he told stories of his daughter. And he told just funny stories, happy stories, sad stories. He told a story about how his wife and, and, and him always wanted, he has three boys, and so he was having a fourth child, and he, they always wanted a daughter, and they did, they got one. And they wanted her to be their little princess, but they, they didn't realize that because of the three older boys, she just wanted to run with the crowd. And so he talked about the last time he really spent time with her, and that was actually on Sunday, right? She died on Monday. On Sunday, he was tired from Sunday work, being a pastor. He wanted to just lay down on the couch, and she's like, Dad, let's go outside and throw the football. And so she had just found out about route running, that you can do different routes, and so they were working on different routes. He's throwing a football. They're from the South. That's what they do down there. And um, I'm like, we don't have a backyard. Um, but they were doing that and, that, and and he was telling these stories, and he was laughing, and he was crying. But then he ended up saying this. He said, I mean, well, first of all, he, he was able to do, why was he able to do this? He was able to do this because he could, he could fuse hope and grief. He could fuse these things in telling a story, but this is, he said this at one point. This is a quote. He said, my daughter was murdered in this building. And everybody told me, don't do this. Don't have the funeral here today. Don't, it's too soon. Don't come back. But he was adamant. And he said this. He said, my, this is where my daughter learned about Jesus. This is where she learned about her Savior. And darkness doesn't get to win over that. It doesn't have the last say. The service, this service is a protest against the darkness. See, Chad was able to have hope. He was able to hold and, and have his grief and sorrow bracketed by the joy and the smiles and the stories. But how? How, could, how did he do that? How did he hold these together? Because the future hope of all of creation and all the redemption of all creation was in him on that day, knowing that he's going to see his girl again. How does he know? How does he know he's going to see his girl again? Go back to our text. Look how many times Paul says the future is together. Look at verse 18, right? This is all going to be one another. But then go back one verse. We're caught up together. Go up next verse. Verse 16, we will rise. Verse 15, we come together. This is really, really important and very unique. A lot of people think the future, there's nothing. Other people, a lot of Eastern religions say the future is, 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 is real, but it's impersonal. There is no you anymore. Only Christianity says there, the future is you personalized. And the Greek word in verse 17, where it talks about being meeting, that you get to meet together with the Lord, that's actually a very technical word about meeting the king who's come after conquering and vanquishing the enemies. And I think there's nothing more prevalent. It's Palm Sunday, right? Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, and he's doing it ironically. He's coming in, and he hasn't quite yet vanquished death, but he's about to. That's next week. But if he does, then our future and Chad's future is assured that he will see his daughter again, that my friend will be made whole again, that you will be made whole again. Yesterday at the funeral, he talked about when she was baptized, what you're doing 
in, when you baptize an infant is you're dedicating this, your daughter to the Lord. And he said, I was turning her over to him. I just didn't know how soon she, he wanted her back. And yet he was comforted knowing that now he, that she's in the arms of Jesus. Friends, what are, what's comforting you? He had that comfort. And I'm not saying pie in the sky. Paul is saying that it's the evidence and truth of the physical, actual resurrection of Jesus. Paul roots our comfort in that. Is that yours? And if it is yours, do you access it? Do you use it? And if it's not yours today, maybe you, you've never really considered this to be true. Will you do that in light of what you actually already are believing? Potentially not working. Consider this. Because what you believe about the future affects you now. Please don't walk away from this. Don't just hold this intellectually. Believe it. Access it. Live it. If you're going to eat, friends, if you're going to walk and talk and sing and jump and, and live, then we can have, in the future, then we can have a little bit of that future today. And if you had that future today, guess what? If you, it means if you had that, then you can call death sleep too. If you had that, then you're going to be able to stop being worried about what you're getting out of life, and you can just be thankful for what you are getting out of life. If you had that, you're going to be able not to just look at yourself, you're going to be able to look at others. If you had that, you're going to be able to turn out and go towards other people. Because guess what? This allows you to know that you're ultimately you're going to be taken care of. So now ultimately you can take care of other people. Nothing can keep you away from the love of Jesus. No pain, no grief, no bullets, no badness, no bombs. What Paul says is that we get the trumpet call of the Lord. It's a party. Friends, don't listen to your grief. It's trying to say that it has the last say. But if you live in light of the future light of, of Jesus Christ, he does, and we do too. That's what Palm Sunday is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, whew, it's hard to keep it together. It's so hard. Because if we go into the grief, it's just so easy to get overwhelmed. And yet, the joy brackets it. It holds us together, and it lets us even go into we don't have to be afraid of it or scared of it, whether it's our fathers or our friends or ourselves. I pray that we can loudly proclaim this, that we can sing for joy, that we can, that we can have the full range of emotions like we had up here this week and on this, in this service. The highs of the joys and the lows of the grief that we can hold them all together, Father, because with the future impacts us now. Father, I don't know where everybody is in this room. We can be distracted. We can be tired. We can be all over the place. But I pray that we wouldn't just let this be an intellectual concept, but this would actually be a change in our everyday lives and how we live and how we treat others and how we move forward. I pray, Father, I pray for my friend. I pray, I know that he's in shock. I know he's, you know, he's, he's got all the right answers in his head, but that doesn't mean he has them in his heart. I pray that he would get that more today than he did yesterday. Holy Spirit, come into his heart in a profound way. Come into our lives. That's the only way that we can be and live in light of you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. 
To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.